Welcome to All I Know Is This, a podcast of the First Presbyterian Church in Richmond, Virginia. I'm your host, Amy Star Redwine. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and today I am joined by my newest colleague, Jason N. Brown, who joined our staff at the beginning of September as our new Minister of Music and Arts. So I am really grateful that in this time, this really highly unusual time that Jason has joined the staff, that we have um, at least this way, among others, for our folks to get to know Jason. So Jason, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Well, thank you for having me. It's um, it's it's great to get to meet people such as it is these days. <laughs> yes, indeed. One thought that I had by way of us getting to know you is that it might be interesting to go back and revisit some of the questions that I asked um, my guests, many of whom were my colleagues here at the church. In our first season, the first question that we talked about was um, how you understand discipleship. What does discipleship mean to you? Well, to, to me, discipleship is is very closely linked to stewardship. Hmm. Um, as, as stewards, uh, we, of course, uh, are custodians of things that have been entrusted to us. And um, I think that discipleship is just stewardship of the things that uh, God through Christ uh, has given to us. Uh, whether it's provenient grace or, or the many ways that he blesses us, but just in a general sense, how how do we care for these treasures that that God has given to us, and how freely do we share it uh, with with those who are among us? Because indeed, that that is what the disciples in in, in Christ's day did. What a, I really appreciate that answer, Jason. Um, discipleship as stewardship. That's a wonderful way of reflecting on this calling that we have. I realized that I kind of dived in with a deep theological question and probably <laughs> should have given you the opportunity to just like tell us a little about yourself before we do that. So we've got a couple of other big theological questions, but before we go there... Tell us about yourself. What would you like us to know? Just a, a week or so ago, became um, a naturalized citizen of the United States. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. So you now are a U.S. citizen, but you're a native. Yeah. Uh, of... I, I, I am from the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago, okay. also known as Paradise. Uh, moved to the U.S. to start college at 17, and um, now you see me as I am. And tell us about the your educational background in the United States. I know you've you've attended a, a couple of different places. I I have. Um, I started school in New York at Medgar Evers College, okay. which fairly recently became one of the senior colleges in the City University of New York system. Mm-hmm. Um, being unhappy there, I dropped out and um, started to. Uh, freelance uh, for a bit before ultimately finishing my undergraduate degree in voice at the University of Kentucky, which has a pretty um, impressive opera program. At least it was a well-kept secret to me until I went there. Then then I went on uh, not too long after to West Virginia uh, University, where I did my master's in conducting and um, was blessed to meet my wife, Angela, who is also a um, church musician. So I know that opera has been a big part of your training and performing career. Uh, Tell me why church music. 
Well, I, I had always had a, a love for church music and church work. Uh, my grandfather was a pastor. I have a couple of uncles who are pastors as well. As, as a child, I remember at about age five or six, there was a program on TV called The Joy of Music, and it featured Diane Dish, um, who was at the Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Florida. Okay. And, um, you know, she, she was kind of the, the, the female counterpart of Virgil Fox uh, earlier in the 20th century. Her program toured historic organs across the world, hmm. and um, she, she she would often play, of course, the standard organ repertoire, but a lot of the more common church music, hymns and uh, and, and hymn tunes. I, I remember I used to watch the joy of music, and I would line up a bunch of shoes under the dining room table, and I would pretend that I was playing the organ. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, I, I, I'm told that I'm blessed with the gift of gab. So there was a while where we thought, oh, well, maybe Jason will be a preacher. Who mm. knows? And so the route to church music was kind of circuitous for me in that I, I was in college. It was my second year at UK. And the music director at the First Presbyterian Church in Lexington, Kentucky, where I was a staff singer, asked me if I would uh, run a sectional rehearsal with the uh, men of the choir as we prepared for Handel's Messiah. I found that I enjoyed the process of preparing uh, to teach this music, but also that light bulb moment in, in rehearsal when, you know, oh, thank God you got it. Now we can move on. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I, I so much more enjoyed that process than, um, than any of the process of, of mounting and preparing a role uh, or, or, or being on the grand opera stage that uh, from, from then I started gra uh, gravitating more towards uh, conducting. Okay. And because church and, 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 and church work had always been a passion of mine, it seemed a natural progression to, uh, to, to just commit to church music. Yeah, oh, that's great. I, I love that. And I will carry that image of all those shoes under the <laughs> table. <laughs> that is a good segue, actually, to another of the questions that we invited our early guests to reflect on, which is a theological concept that you learned in childhood that still holds true for you today. Most cultures are familiar with uh, what we call the golden rule. Mm -hmm. uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. My personal background studied not just uh, Christian theology, mm -hmm. but in middle school, uh, we had a period every week uh, that was called religious instruction. Mm -hmm where uh, anybody who was a member of a particular faith could request to have an instructor from their faith uh, to come into the school, and uh, they were granted a, a class period once a week to instruct people. So from an early age, I had exposure to, you know, people of the Baha'i faith or mm. Hinduism or Islam. And I mean, whether it's the Bhagavad Gita or our Holy Bible, there is a general theme that was simplified once when I was um, with some of our Baha'i brethren uh, in middle school. And I think at the core of all of our teachings is don't be a jerk to your fellow men. I think that that may well be what Jesus was after when he said, 
that the greatest commandment, of course, is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, but that you love your neighbor as yourself. I am an intense personality by nature. Uh, I, I, I tend to be um, fairly snarky, especially when it comes to musical details. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's one of the things that I try really hard to keep in, in, in the fore of my thinking, whether I'm driving in traffic or leading a rehearsal. How can you do this without being a jerk? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's kind of a nice baseline there. That might be a good parenting motto too. <laughs> or a teaching moment. I want us to get a chance to talk about scripture and about the text that we're going to hear about in worship this week. And I thought of you in exploring this text because I think there's such an interesting dynamic here between the two primary characters. So um, our text comes from the book of Esther, a wonderful story in the Hebrew Bible. I love it because I feel like it's it's almost like a little novella tucked in between some of these <laughs> other genres that we have from the Hebrew Bible. This sort of beautiful story of a young woman who ends up in a, a position <coughs> where she has a unique ability to influence the events that are happening and particularly events uh, a, a great risk to her people because she is a member of uh, the Israelite people and and she ends up um, in the king's court after there's an episode where uh, the king calls his wife to come before him and she doesn't come and that's kind of a capital offense uh, in that regime. And so the king goes looking for a new queen and chooses Esther, who is an orphan and living with her uncle Mordecai. And she ends up on the inside on the king's court. And through some interesting and sort of complicated events that um, we probably don't have time to go into, Mordecai is at the, the center of some plot points that end up putting the people of Israel at great risk by this particular regime because the king has a kind of right-hand man who's out to get these people and who's going to try to figure out a way for uh, the king to do away with them. What happens in the, the part of the story that we're going to hear is that Mordecai works very hard to get a message to his niece who is on the inside of the king's court. And if people know anything from this particular book of the Bible, this is probably the part that they've heard because, you know, initially... Mordecai gets this message to Esther to say that her people are going to be destroyed and she needs to go to the king and basically beg him to have mercy on her people. And her response through this third party who's going between them is, well, I, I can't do that. I can't go to the king unless he calls me before him. And Mordecai's reply to that is, don't think that just because you're in the king's palace, you're going to get off here and that you'll escape where the other Jews are destroyed. And he says, if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. 
And in response to that, Esther decides, okay, I'm going to try to make this happen. And um, she does get an audience with the king, uh, convinces him to have mercy on her people, and everything sort of ends okay in this iteration of the story. But I thought of you in part because I think that Mordecai plays such an interesting role in this story, because in many ways, he's sort of an outside actor. And it actually got me thinking about the role of the conductor and the choir and your job in kind of um, helping people to use the position that they're in to share their gifts and talents um, in a, a meaningful way. And so I'm just curious kind of what you make of this story and and um, these different characters and events here. I'll start first with the conductor bit and then work back to theology. Sounds good. Um, you know, the, the, the role of a conductor is kind of like an onion in that there are many layers <laughs> to <laughs> what the conductor does. Um, and that's that's true from institution to institution. And a lot of times people focus on the, the role of the conductor as keeping the orchestra or the choir together, when indeed beyond that, the conductor's gesture is supposed to help the listener as much as it helps those who are either playing or singing. Hmm. There's something to how fluid a gesture is or when you throw a cue at somebody that it, 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 it should even subconsciously draw the listener. If, if, if you're in a live performance, it should draw your attention to where that action is going to be. And um, so I, I agree in, in some sense that Mordecai is, is kind of a conductor because, you know, here, here is all of the cacophonous noise and he draws uh, her attention to, you know, this, you, you have skin in the game here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really believe that this story kind of brings us back full circle to your first question of discipleship. Here, here you are, you have been blessed with a position uh, of being able to do something. What are you going to do about it? I'll step back from that and say that indeed this, 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 this should be the call, I think, to us all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's, it's one thing to pray that God feeds the hungry but it's another thing to recognize if you have been blessed with the means to make it happen. Mm, yes. <laughs> and so for, for what other reason should God bless us if not to become his hands among our fellow men? Yeah, I really like how you put that and, and how you frame that, particularly in, in terms of discipleship. And as you talked about it earlier, discipleship as stewardship, you know, what do we do with the resources, with the gifts we've been given? And one of those gifts is the the places where we have been put, you know, and the yep. things that we are able to do just right where we are. It also seems to me to be at a time where there's a lot of conversation about privilege and and what mm-hmm. privilege is and and um, what constitutes privilege and and how we use that that there is a way in which Mordecai is helping Esther to recognize the privilege that she has and that it will only go so far to protect her right I heard that in what you're saying too yes yes. Well, and you know, I, I think I think that the challenging thing with conversations about privilege is that it is hard for people who are in a position of privilege to hear that they are in a position of privilege without uh, hearing people speaking in an accusatory way mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. even though that's not what's being transmitted. That's that's often what they receive. And without hearing uh, that you may not deserve the things that you have. And that's 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 a very real part of the the, the, the conversation. But I think that for us as people of faith, we, we, we need to recognize and internalize a sense of duty given the things that we have been blessed with. That is one way I would love for us to be able to, you know, just culturally or theologically to kind of reframe that concept of privilege that, as you mentioned, it's not meant to be an accusatory or you have something you don't deserve. It's more, I think of it as it means that we all have certain opportunities to make a difference that's right and and affect events or uh, use our uh, gifts, whether whether it's gifts or skills or position mm-hmm. or anything like that, to answer the call to discipleship. I mean, I think that is one way of thinking about it. For, for any musical theater slash opera lovers out there, you might be familiar with Gilbert and Sullivan, English playwrights that, that, that wrote a number of, of operas. And whether you're talking about the Pirates of Penzance or any number of the other things, the general theme of the works that they put out was duty. And it's, it's, it's one of the reasons that I gravitated towards the anthem that we'll hear in worship this coming Sunday, um, a solo called If I Can Help Somebody. Hmm. Uh, it was one of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s favorite texts. And it says, if I can help somebody as I pass along, If I can cheer somebody with a word or song, if I can show somebody he is traveling wrong, then my living shall not be in vain. Ah. If I can do my duty as a Christian ought, if I can bring back beauty to a world abroad, if I can spread love's message as the master taught, then my living shall not be in vain. And so, you know, J- Jesus calls us to do certain things. He, he didn't tell us to go to church. He didn't tell us to build buildings or anything, mm-hmm. but he did tell us, feed the hungry, mm-hmm. visit those who are in prison. And, and in a general sense, if you have the means in you to make life better for your neighbor, do that. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus called us to do. Right. And, and I think that this story with Mordecai is, is, is kind of a neat foreshadowing of kind of that theological discourse. We walk away from the kind of uh, personal holiness in the age of Job, mm-hmm. where his friends told him, well, the reason you're going through this right. is because you must have done something wrong. To so this idea of looking out and seeing, well, what can I do? Yeah. Uh, beyond myself. Absolutely. Um, I'm so excited by that text, by the way. I can't wait to hear that music. Um, and it's gonna, <laughs> I think it's going to be a wonderful pairing. But also, as we think about this story in the context of our conversations about, you know, having these good faith conversations, it seems that part of what we learn here from both Mordecai and Esther, but maybe particularly Mordecai. And I love this as sort of a foreshadowing of of some of the work that Jesus does with his followers. You know, we can help in these conversations kind of awaken one another to opportunities that we have to live into our calling that, that we may not see very clearly. I mean, we need one another to be able to, to figure all of this out. And certainly, I think that is one of the things that I hold so dear about the community of, 
a church, you know, that we are in this journey together, you know, together, there are going to be times where we encourage each other, where we challenge each other, where we need to point out, yes, you you have the means to do this, or, or we ask each other for help. I'm excited to think about this that way. And I'm really excited that you're here as a part of our community. Um, and I know that you have already brought new perspective and a lot of wonderful creativity. And I just can't wait to see how that's all going to play out. Well, thank you. It's um, It really is a blessed thing to be a part of a faith community that is looking forward, that is looking to have these difficult conversations, you know, get getting even ourselves, uh, those of us in, 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 in leadership positions, sometimes out of our comfort zones. Because, mm-hmm. you know, growth, growth, of course, is always uncomfortable. But uh, it, again, it's what Christ calls us to do. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you so much, Jason. I, I've learned a lot from talking to you today. And I hope that um, all of our listeners have uh, enjoyed this opportunity to get to know you a little better. And we'll take advantage of other ways to continue that process of getting to know one another during this time. And I want to say thank you to all of our listeners for being with us and check out everything that we've got on our website. You can find all kinds of things there, including some great music, fpcrichmond.org. Thanks for listening.